This is episode number 78, Stand Up for Others, with Colin Morgan. Welcome, my name is Oleg Loki, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a brief shout out to our review of the week, which comes from Mark Guai. Such a powerful force that's needed in the adoption world. Keep it up, Oleg. Thank you so much, Mark, for the amazing review. And if you haven't done so already, and you would like your review to be featured as our review of the week, go ahead and leave us one on iTunes whenever you get a chance. Also, if you haven't checked out any of our upcoming events, feel free to do so at overcomingodds.today forward slash events. These are experiences created by other community members from the Overcoming Odds tribe, where you'll get a chance to hear stories from powerful speakers from all over the country and opportunities to share your own story. Once again, for more information, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash events. Now, let's get back to our guest. This week's episode features Colin Morgan, founder and host of the Daily Grind podcast, where he interviews today's most successful business owners and people in hopes to inspire the next great entrepreneur. Tune in to our conversation as we discuss ways to reframe the obstacles in front of us, share our stories to help others heal, maintain a growth mindset, and deal with traumatic experiences. Without further ado, please welcome Colin Morgan. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Odds podcast. Today's guest is a friend of mine. His name is Colin Morgan. He's a former pro golfer turned entrepreneur and someone who I was very fortunate to be on his show a couple of days ago, I believe. And so, I, Colin, I, first of all, I want to thank you for taking this time and um, being on our show to begin with. And oh, thank you, man. Absolutely. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Um, and, you know, the way that I wanted to start off this episode is slightly different from what I have in the past, and that is really a question that I've been wondering internally, and that is I've started to ask myself, how have I been able to overcome a lot of the seemingly impossible odds in life? I think, as you might be able to relate as well, within life, there are so many obstacles that we're constantly faced with, and sometimes it becomes hard to really understand, like, how did I overcome that? You know, at the time, in the moment, it seems like the greatest thing in front of you. And it becomes, you have so many conflicting thoughts as far as whether or not you can even make it through it. But then you're able to wake up the next day or the next week after having to work through that and then really under, try and understand, how did that just happen? Mm-hmm. Like, how, how did I get through that when it seemed literally impossible to go through? So I'm curious to know, you know, is that something that you have ever felt on your end? All the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still think I think about it. 
even for myself, I think when you face obstacles, it's interesting because I think there's sort of one or two paths that you can go, especially if you face something traumatic, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you have as well, knowing your story, is I either feel like you can let it consume you and what had happened to you dictates the decisions you make for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And it's almost used as a crutch to not do things that you know you should and to do things that you know aren't the right choices for you. Mm. Or you can decide that I'm going to use this past pain as fuel to help others. And whether that's through a business or whether that's through what you're doing or whether that's through speaking, mm -hmm. you have the ability to share your story in a way in which can hopefully help others who have been through what you are. And I feel like for me, when you use it positively and you share your story, that's why I love platforms like this. I love what you're doing. I love storytelling and sharing stories because at the same time of helping others, it's healing for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're so spot on with that. You know what I've learned through having a particular platform like this is not only are we able to be reflections and mirrors for other people to see themselves and their own narratives, but also this is a form of therapy for you as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, just being able to talk about your experiences and the things that have happened to you, and maybe just one word is going to trigger a sequence of thoughts that are going to help you possibly heal through a traumatic experience. And you never know until it actually happens. So what I've learned throughout all of this is just the importance of always being open-minded in these situations and understand that I have to allow myself to create these particular spaces where I can share the story. And even if you are, quote-unquote, repeating the same narrative over again, it never comes out the same way mm -hmm. because every single time you have a deeper understanding of that story. And so the words change, the sequencing change, and your energy changes. I mean, one time you may solely focus on the beginning of that particular event, and then the next conversation could be in the middle or the end. So I don't think you ever repeat the same exact story, and it really boils down to the more you continue to ask yourself those questions – the more you're going to be open to other narratives within that one narrative that you live. Of course. You know, what's interesting for, for me from the conversation that you and I had on your podcast was I really wanted to learn about the traumatic experience that you spoke of, which at a time seemed like a great obstacle that you had to overcome. So would you be willing to take us as far back as you can and a lot of our listeners to help us understand that experience and how it has really shaped your identity moving forward. For sure. I mean, my story, I feel like, is definitely unique. Um, I had a pretty much a, a picture-perfect childhood. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how to describe it any other way than that. Like, both my parents were entrepreneurs um, because of that, they instilled in me and my brother and sister a belief that, you know, we could be and do whatever we wanted to, mm -hmm. like the world was our oyster. And for me at a young age, I fell in love with sports. I excelled in sports. I wanted to do nothing else growing up as a kid in Canada. Hockey was the main sport. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be on the, in the NHL. Um, but over time, as I started to develop my skills, I found golf and probably around the age of 12 or 13 um, I think 
myself and other people could really see that I had something. It wasn't just, oh, he's good. Like I felt like I had an edge over a lot of people and they could see the potential and in golf I excelled. Um, and what 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 is that like, you know, for, for those that aren't athletes to begin with? Like what describe to us what that feeling is and how do you how do you just know? I think over when you play with more people, mm-hmm. like whatever you're doing, I think you know if you're better or you're behind or you're at the same level as the people that you're working with or that you hang around with just naturally in sports it's more there's a scorecard like Mm -hmm. in golf the scorecard so you can keep score and just based on you know I was competing against kids who were older than me and I was winning at a very Mm -hmm. young age like I hadn't played tournaments and the one thing I just I love to go to the golf course and I love to practice like I think I probably practiced harder than most people I knew (laughs) so I think people saw that in combination with the results I was getting and they kind of thought that you know and and they verbalized it to me that I had something but mm-hmm. I mean, that feeling is it's, it's empowering, right? Like when people have that belief in you, it just gives you the extra belief you need in order to do well. Mm. And keep, so, keep pushing yourself forward. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, that accumulated into me in different sports, um, to getting a full scholarship to the U S I thought that this was the stepping stone to reach the PGA tour, which was my ultimate goal. And going in, I was definitely hesitant. Um, It's funny, I haven't shared this, but on my recruiting trip to the university that I picked, I was actually robbed twice. (laughs) Okay. What an introduction. (laughs) Right, what an introduction, right? I was robbed twice and on the recruiting trip with the teammates and superiors, I got hammered drunk. And I'm not a drinker, but I got hammer drunk and um, played the next day golf, just hung over, feeling like I've never felt before. And it was funny because you go through those scenarios, you're like, okay, you get hammered drunk, you don't have a good experience there, you get robbed twice, one at knife point outside of an airport, mm-hmm. and yet I decided to go to that university, hmm. which is a really interesting choice. Um <laughs> But for me, it was like I got offered a full scholarship. This is whatever everything I ever wanted. Like, it was it. So I went. And what I didn't know is when I stepped on campus for the first day, my life would change forever. So I never faced, like I said, I never faced any adversity growing up. I think the only thing I faced is I had acne. So a little bit of people made fun of me for the acne I had. Mm-hmm. But I was an athlete, so like I could get through it. Um, but like no one ever had any ill will towards me. No one made fun of me. I, like I said, I had a perfect childhood growing up. And what I faced when I stepped in university was throughout the year and three quarters that I was there, I faced um, psychological, physical, and sexual abuse. And what started out me going to university, being excited for school and golf quickly I realized that things were going to be a little bit different um I was drinking a whole bunch mm-hmm. and that was sort of a forced event it wasn't out of my choice it was like this is a prerequisite to be on this court on this team mm-hmm. so it turned into like five seven days a week drinking drunk mm-hmm. I was ending up 
naked. I was sleeping in the bed of this driving to tournaments with beer in the car and like mm-hmm. sleeping in the same bed as my coaches. And one day I woke up, I was 19 years old and I realized that I had been sexually assaulted. And from there, my mindset, who I was changed forever. I remember sitting in that bed going back to that time. I remember sitting in that bed just with one thought of like, first of all, I'm going to bury this. But the only way I know I can bury this is if the old me has to die mm. and I need to create someone else, almost like an alter ego mm-hmm. to be able to get through this. And that's what I did for years. Um, and that led me into trying to be a masculine man because of what happened to me. I felt emasculated. Um, my performance in golf plummeted because I wasn't thinking about golf. I was just trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a, a long time because I made a bunch of bad choices. I hurt people close to me. Mm-hmm. And I knew at one point that I'm just like, I need to change. Like, this isn't who I am. This how isn't how I was brought up. This isn't what I want to be. And I made the decision to go get help. And through that help, honestly, it's funny, that one session probably took about 30 minutes and something in my head just clicked because I'd been talking. I felt like this is the first time I could open up and she'd ask questions. And I'd answer it like, you know, why me? I'm trying to figure out why me, why me, why me, why this happened to me, you know, why not someone else? And she just simply said, just so clearly, she said, Colin, why not you? Mm. And just those words for me just made sense. And I took it as like, you know what? Better me than someone else. I have a support system. I have an amazing family. I have an outstanding girlfriend. I have friends that support me. I have a future in front of me. Like, I have all of this. Mm -hmm. And from there, I made a decision that I was going to start making the right choices. Um, Now, it didn't happen right away, but over time, it's developed into that. Um, So, yeah. And I think going back to, like, your original of, like, why do you – how are you able to get through things in life? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's still, even though I, I in my head think it's because of the support system and the people around me, I really don't know because I could have just as easily made the other choice and gone down a path of, I had a, a side top, I had a friend, um, went to school with one of my best friends and two years ago went through something similar to me. Two years ago, he took his own life. And for me, that was an eye opener because the two years previous to that, Mm -hmm. he had come down to visit me and what was supposed to be a week visit turned into a summer. And I think, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or people can relate to this who are listening, but when you meet someone or you're speaking to someone, you don't even have to share your experiences, but you kind of know that you you just know mm-hmm. you've been through something together. Um, and his pain matched with my pain just somehow was a mix, but we were both still in a ton of pain and he, we had plans on, he was going to caddy for me and we were going to make the PGA tour and one tournament 
after one round, we had a disagreement. Um, we were both sort of bullheaded, and mm-hmm. we drove home two and a half hours, didn't say a single word to one another. He got all his stuff, packed it up, drove 16 hours back to Oklahoma. I never saw him again. And two years later, he takes his own life. Now, I don't blame myself, but what it did was just change the perception and mindset in my head of how I interact with people mm-hmm. and the lasting memory I want to have through each conversation. And I'm not perfect. I mean, there's certain things I do that I regret, but I think consciously having that experience in my head and knowing that I want to leave a positive impact on people's lives. If when they listen to me or they meet me, I want to fill them up with energy. I don't mm-hmm. want to take, I don't want to take any energy away from them. Um, but through all of those lessons, I mean, like I said, I'm still curious as to how you get through it, but I think it's no matter what, and you could probably speak to this old leg, like it's, it's a constant, it's, it's not something that just goes away. I don't mm-hmm. think it's like I got over the mountain. Like I'm good. Layers and layers of it that you go through. Yeah. And I think that there's constant layers. Like I think that to say that everything's been figured out is almost a cop out. It's just like there are so much, there's so mm-hmm. much more to learn. Mm-hmm. How do you remember your friend? He, he was a military man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was in the ROTC, for those who know, um, at the same time of playing college sports, but was forced to pick one. He picked sports. He instilled in me a, a discipline that I've still taken to this day. Like when he came down, it wasn't a party. It was like he woke me up at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. We went to the gym together. We came home. We had a healthy breakfast. We went to the golf course. We practiced, and he made that schedule. He didn't need to do any of that for me. I wasn't paying him. Mm-hmm. He did all of that for me. And I think that everyone that does remember him remembers him in that way where he just gave and gave and gave and gave. And I don't know that, whether that was something that helped him through what he was going through. Um, but very hard-headed. But, man, he, would, he just anyone that met him that truly knew him I think the, when you first meet someone like that, it's kind of like you're taken back mm-hmm. because of the personality. But then you really get to know that person. You're like, wow, like it's a rough outside, but like inside, <laughs> someone that really cares. He'll go to the end of like I could call him up anytime. He'd help me with anything. He was that type of person. Mm-hmm. I want to take a step back, and there's so many questions that were popping up in my in my head as you were going through this. And the first one was very similar to the experience that I had of my own and that is going into the orphanage and at first thinking that that was the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I went into it for the opportunity, but it ended up being slightly different from, from what I envisioned. In your case, it sounds very similar. You went to the school thinking that that was the opportunity of your lifetime that you had to take, and then a series of events happened. And I'm you know, and made you redefine uh, whether or not it was that opportunity you were looking for. So when that happened, when you were sexually abused, how did that make you 
think about the quote-unquote opportunity that you had created for yourself? Like, was it all of a sudden, you know, a place that you didn't want to be in anymore? And why did you choose to stay there for the remainder of time? Yeah, I think it was, it was a few things. A, I felt like I didn't want to let anyone down. Mm. Like I had so many fans and so many people from back home and parents who invested money in me and I didn't want to let them down because if I left, I knew for sure I wasn't going to share what happened, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be the person to say like, oh, I quit or I failed out of universe. I didn't want that to be my story either. Mm-hmm. So I felt almost in a way trapped because I'm a kid with a dream and I felt like the only way I could get to my dream was through this obstacle. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the only way I could do anything was just to continue to push forward and hopefully it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, like abu- abuse is a cycle mm-hmm. It does get better, but then it doesn't get better. Um, and fortunately for me, I never experienced that being sexually assaulted like that more than once. Um, but man, the psychological abuse was almost worse. Mm. I, I don't really know how to explain that. <laughs> the instant of waking up and knowing that, wow, like that just happened is different than just like the accumulation of just like getting beat on emotionally for years. Mm -hmm. I think there's different levels to both. So I I didn't want to let anyone down. I didn't want to let myself down. I didn't know what I was going to do after. I felt lost. I felt trapped, Um, which a lot of athletes or a lot of people with a dream, as we see from what happened in the U.S. Olympic team and gymnastics, and we see at different universities like Penn State, um, Hollywood, very Mm -hmm. similar these people have a dream and they think that they have to do these things in order to to reach those Mm -hmm. goals because these are people in their way um and it's scary but yeah i felt i felt trapped i felt like i I had no other choice did you did you ever find yourself as i'm sure you know one of the things i've i've been able to learn throughout these conversations is that when you experience moments like these abandonment, neglect, abuse, and many other themes and factors, if you don't deal with them on your personal level, those behaviors actually end up repeating themselves through you. Mm. Did you ever find yourself that after that happened to you that you were essentially recreating those sets of behaviors through you in some of the friendships and relationships that you were a part of before you really started to sit down and deal with it, starting with square, starting from square one. Yeah, I mean that's a really, it's an interesting question because if I look back on it, for sure, like I, at certain moments, like you almost you don't want to put yourself back in those situations, but it's like mm-hmm. almost being there is comfortable. Um. Like I, I just kept drinking. 
you know, like then I turned after that, I felt like I had to be more of a man. So it's not like I, like I, I worked out hard, like I'm a skinny guy, mm-hmm. but like I got to almost 200 pounds, like my neck, I couldn't do up this button, mm-hmm. you know, like I just, I did all these things and then I slept with women mm-hmm. and it's just like, you do all these things for myself just to be like, okay, I'm not Hope that person. Outlets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, and then that's a lot of the behavior that is repeated from what happened at that time for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you choose to do with those experiences now and that knowledge? You know, besides working on yourself, I think one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode was really just being a contribution in today's society. And that's in a way like paying forward based on what you know and the things that have happened. So how have those experiences helped redefine how you view life now? Like what, you know, what do you not want to see? And the other thing that I'm curious to know is you went into the school with the mindset and you went through the experiences with the mindset of I'm here and I'm not going to disappoint others. So I'm not going to give up on this regardless of what happens. Mm. I'm curious to know if that narrative flipped now where you have experienced those things and you're not going to give up talking about them, sharing about them, because you have learned that it might impact others in a way, and it might give another person who has gone through it a doorway to go through of their own. Yeah, 100%. I think for me, my mindset really flipped on it. I felt like I was going to internalize my story Mm-hmm. and to share it to the ones close to me and um jb who i was talking about my friend uh about seven eight months ago his mother reached out to me um, for the first time since he's been gone and we talked for an hour and she knew what i had been doing as an entrepreneur and with my podcast and she sort of urged me or pushed me mm-hmm. into sharing my story with others and gave me permission to share his story as well. Mm-hmm. Hopes to help other people who could be in those situations. And I'd been thinking about it for a while, for sure. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need that push. And for me, that was enough of a push for me to say, this is really what I'm, I feel like I'm meant to do is share my story. Um, right now I hope to go to as many universities as I can to talk with young student athletes, um, in hopes to bring awareness to the subject of abuse in sports Mm -hmm. and wherever that leads me, that leads me. But for me, I feel super blessed at this moment to have gone through what I've gone through. Mm-hmm. I feel really blessed. And as much as it's pain, it's like, you know what? Sometimes pain can lead to amazing things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such an interesting topic. I, I've played sports mm-hmm. all my life. And I've definitely experienced levels of abuse, especially in high school that I can recall. 
I remember there were a couple of times, a couple of years actually, when I played soccer on different teams. It wasn't sexual abuse, but it was definitely verbal abuse. Uh-huh. And I think, especially at that age, it becomes very difficult to recognize whether or not you're being abused because it all boils down to how the person who's the coach positions him or herself and how your parents and other supporters present you the person in charge. So it's kind of interesting to look back at all of it now and think, for me, I was told that he was my coach and he presented himself as his coach. So I felt that because of all of these labels that all of, that were created surrounding me, I had no other option but to view him anything other than a coach. Mm-hmm. And so when he did scream at me or whatever else, I never really viewed that as abuse. I just thought that was just part of coaching because that's who I knew him as. But now as I look back, it just made me makes me think maybe some of those practice some of those techniques were not the best things that I should have been exposed to at that age. And you're spot on as far as I mean there are thousands, millions of people that go through the same exact stuff that we have on a daily basis at yeah. different schools and I think many of us, as we go through it, we don't really recognize it until something happens, something that makes us trigger our or break our thought pattern and makes us redefine who that person really is and what are their actions. So it's interesting to take a step back and look at how I was brought up through sports. And at that time, I thought it was, he's just a coach. He's doing the right thing. He has my best interest. And he might have had all those things, but he also yelled at us 30 out of the 45-minute practices Mm -hmm. and cussed us out and everything. And, I mean, we started off as 7th or 8th graders. And I can't imagine that being a positive practice on us. Yeah, I mean, it needs to be a balance. I think think if you... What's important is if a coach yells at you, mm-hmm. I don't view that as abuse. But if it's constant mm-hmm. and it's almost humiliation and you're being singled out, mm-hmm. like that's where it becomes abuse. And going back to your point, it's true. When you, as a parent, when you t- put your kids in sports, you think that that coach is trained. You Mm -hmm. think that that coach knows how to deal with bullying and Mm -hmm. abuse. But oftentimes they don't. Like most of the time, especially here in in Canada, and I know it's kind of the same in the U.S., parents are oftentimes the coaches. Yeah. So if a kid's being bullied, they're best friends with the kid's parents who's doing the bullying. Like it's not right. And you're being left alone. Like, they're being left alone. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, the coach, you know how to deal with it. I mean, that's where accountability comes into play. And with athletics, there's none. There's no accountability. Mm. They can do 
whatever they want. You can yell, you can scream, especially what happened in the university I went to, man, it was crazy. 100% people knew that that was happening, but they didn't know how, they didn't know what to do because they didn't have anyone to go to. It's like, oh, if I go here, then I could get fired because I'm the odd man out of this coaching staff mm-hmm. or I'm the odd man out of this faculty here at the university. And people have jobs. It's natural. It's like you don't want to. You have a family. You have people to feed. Mm-hmm. It makes it difficult for people to come out, especially in sports. And with the culture of it being, you know, fight through the pain and, you know, especially when if you grow up in a locker room setting and you play football or basketball or hockey like I did. Like I remember my coach at a young age was like telling us to end end the guy's career. I remember him saying that in the locker room. End this kid's career. We're 13 years old. We were be- being told to end this kid's career. Like run him through the boards, make him not play hockey anymore. But when I look back on it, that's not the coach's fault. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know. That's how he was brought up. That's how his coaches talked to him. That's how his father taught him how to coach. That's what he's hearing from other people. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a culture change that needs to happen, but it 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 will take a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, with people like you sharing your story, you know, it's I I think there is um there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And as long as we continue to maintain that vision, then that's really how I think true change is going to happen. And it is hard to be able to speak up from instances like that, mm-hmm. where you have ha- things like that happen to you. It takes time. It takes a lot of reflection. And it takes a lot of different narratives that you have to hear along the way. A lot of other people saying, me too, in order for you to, I think, find the permission to be yourself yeah, and get comfortable within your own skin. And like you said earlier, it doesn't happen overnight. It, for some, it takes years. For some, it takes a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you for taking a stand and finding the courage to speak up on a story like this in hopes that other people won't have to go through similar experiences. I appreciate it. Final thought for today's episode, and this is a question that I ask all of the guests that come onto the show, and that is, who or what are you grateful for today? Mm. You know what? Today, right now, I'm grateful for my parents. You know, you even just saying before how I had the courage to stand up and do that. I mean, I don't think I could have had the courage Mm -hmm. out my parents and the way that I was brought up. Mm. So I'm super thankful for what they did to me, the belief they instilled in me, the mindset they provided me, the opportunities they provided me, the love they showed and still do. Um, so today, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm super grateful for a lot, but specifically uh, my parents. It's amazing. Kyle, how do people find you, and what are some of the things that you have coming up that people can be a part of? For sure. Um, you can find me at, uh, if you want to follow along on Instagram, uh, you can follow me. It's colinmorgan.dgp. Mm-hmm. You can visit my podcast website, dailygrindpodcast.com. 
Um, and for people listening here, I mean, for me, what changed my life was when I changed my habits and my behaviors and my daily habits and daily behaviors. And I'd been part of so many mastermind groups and uh, gone to so many seminars and I feel like I'm just one in the crowd and what I've created here is an inner circle group mm-hmm. which puts people in groups of five. It gives you the chance to collaborate, work on those habits and behaviors on a daily basis and ultimately hold each other accountable to reach whatever it is that you want to reach. Um, so for people here who are listening today want to try it out for free for a month, um, shoot me an email or let Oleg know or DM me on Instagram and uh, we can get you in that group. Awesome. Well, Colin, thank you so much for being a guest on our show, sharing your story. And just like you said, if for those that are interested, please connect with him. Um, he's a phenomenal guest, phenomenal host of his podcast that I've had a chance to experience. So I appreciate you for being on the show. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much. I love the platform. I love what you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our monthly newsletter so you can receive the latest stand-up and speak-up stories, podcast episodes, and ways you can be involved with overcoming Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.